you know, they came in, they were wearing gloves. They, you know, we had social distancing while they were moving our stuff. We just stay out of their way. Right. So, um, it was, uh, if you heard that beeping, it was my bread machine going off. There's a pandemic thing. Make the bread. Thank you for tuning into I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances uh, in all forms, I guess, in Edmonton. Uh, my name is Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. So, uh, well, it's mid-May now. Things are changing a little by little. Some parts of society are reopening cautiously, um, but venues of any substantial size remain closed. And it's looking like it's going to be a real long time until any in-person viewing of live performance is going to be a thing. Uh, unless maybe they're outside, like on a golf course or something. In these past weeks, we've been talking to artists who have been affected by the pandemic. And this week, I'm talking with a playwright, producer, educator, and all-around booster of Edmonton's playwrights and theater community. His plays have been seen all over the world, including Off-Broadway. He is the recipient of numerous awards, including Dora's and Sterling's, and the Governor General's Literary Award for Drama. During his tenure as artistic director at Workshop West from 2015 to 2019, he co-founded the Chinook series. And under that banner, Workshop West kickstarted two new festivals within that series, the Deaf Arts Showcase Sound Off, curated by artist Chris Dodd, and the Black Arts Matter Showcase, curated by Nasra Adem. And both of those folks were on this podcast for a live episode not too long ago. So I called up this guest because a few days back, he published an open letter on social media addressing the leadership of a number of national professional arts associations, asking them to consider seriously what they could be doing with this time during the Great Pause, um, including reassessing things like the collective bargaining agreements and lobbying for meaningful changes to the status of the artist legislation in Canada. And there was also just a little touch of outrage in there, too, on the lack of visibility of productions of great Canadian Canadian plays at this time, um, when online everything is, um, is, you know, the new thing. So, and I concur that it's really disappointing that we have not seen um, a lot of great representation of Canadian theater out there. Um, unlike, you know, the, the big old, the big old British theaters are streaming everything. So, but of course, I think our guest has a lot more um, to say about it, a lot more smartly than I can say it, at least anyway. <laughs> so for your listening pleasure, everyone, please give it up for our guest this week, the only winner of a Governor General's Award that we've ever had on the podcast, the venerable Vern Thiessen. Hello, Vern. How are you? Good. How are you, Fonda? Uh, well, I'm I'm as good as can be expected in this crazy time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, a lot has happened um, in the last couple months, at least, but a, a lot has happened in the last year for you, too. Um, you, you've um, recently left Workshop West and, and are on to um, a number of new things, I would imagine. So, so, so what's going on for you now, Vern? Well, I did finish Workshop West in December and uh, took a, a little bit of a break. And then uh, I started teaching um, at both Grant, Mc uh, Grant McEwen, at both McEwen University and um, 
Concordia universities in the new year. And so that was a lot of fun uh, until the pandemic came along and then we had to move everything online. Uh, outside of that, I'm I'm writing. I have a number of commissions and unlike a, a lot of my fellow uh uh, fellows, colleagues in the theater, I'm actually very, very lucky because I've had I've lost a couple of um, productions, but nothing major. And this was going to be a what I call a seeding year for me, anyway, where I just sit down and write, you know, two or three plays in in a year, and just kind of get them worked up for production. And so I was kind of set to kind of be a little bit alone, anyway. Um, but you know, there's some of my uh, colleagues, of course, have have lost a ton of work, and it's been very hard on the community. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of the reasons that I've reached out and, and asked you to talk today is because you wrote, you you put a, a public letter on Facebook that was addressed to a number of different organizations um, that are part of the Canadian arts community. And um, I was hoping that maybe we could go through the letter a little bit and talk about what you were really going for um, in writing in writing that letter, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just before we go through the letter, you know, just to let people know, um, you know, the, the the only theater company really in the country that's uh, that's operating at, in any kind of normal capacity, and that would be even hard to say that with any genuine. Uh, reality is the Shaw Festival because they were uh, smart enough to get some pandemic insurance a couple of years ago. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. During the SARS crisis. And so they're, they're still rehearsing on zoom and uh, for whenever they, you know, can open up, but you know, um, 90% of the, of the theater people in this country are basically unemployed. And um, that's extraordinary, you know, outside of the, fantastic people who are keeping some of those theater companies uh, afloat and the doors open and even doing some programming like, uh, you know, for example, at the Citadel, uh, they have some online programming going on. It's, it's our whole industry is pretty much shut down and that uh, hasn't happened in probably over a hundred years. And so we have this opportunity, I think, as a community to uh, really, uh, rethink how we do things and um it's an opportunity that probably will never come again certainly not in my lifetime or at least i hope not (laughs) and so uh i I wrote a a letter to um the the big four uh organizations that uh associations that represent professional art uh, theater artists in 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 the country and that's uh PACT, which is the Professional Association of Canadian Theatre, Canadian Actors' Equity, which we just call Equity, uh, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, which is usually just referred to as the Guild, and the Associated Designers of Canada, the ADC. Those are in English in Canada, by the way. There's a whole different system in Quebec. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the letter that I wrote to the executive directors of those four organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, these organizations work under a, a sort a series of agreements um, among among each other and the theater community. Um, and this is essentially how um, it, they, they sort of dictate how theater gets to work. Um, and how theater artists um, are engaged by the by organizations in the country is that is that fair correct to say? Yeah, that's right. So the Professional Association of Canadian Theaters um, 
uh, has a series of those collective agreements with each of those other organizations. And as you said, they, they really outline how professional theater, and I really should stress that this, this does not extend into community theater or even, you know, some forms of uh, a professional theater that are done outside the agreement. But if you're a signatory to one of those associations, then you have to operate under those agreements. Um, and those agreements are really valid things. They have been for a long time, for decades, to protect uh, everybody, the artists and the, and the management side of, of how theater operates in Canada today. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the letter, though, you, you say maybe it's time to use this great pause to sort of rip up these agreements and start from scratch. Uh, so, so why suggest something like that? What about the agreements um, isn't working as well as it should? Well, I'm not sure that that's the real question is what they, how, how they're uh, working. I think that are they going to be even um, valid uh, a year from now? Um, I, I, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think um, it was important as we sit through this time to kind of look forward and kind of go, uh, is there a different way that we can imagine a theater in this country? Most of the th- the professional theaters in the country, and again, I'm using really broad terminology, so I'm sure there's people at home going, that's not how it works at my theater, and that's true. Yeah. There's lots of outliers, but most of it works on this op- operation of of um, a box office and a mix of box office, private donations, and funding, uh, both at the civic uh, government and um Uh, provincial levels and that's how theater companies operate and everything revolves around how many audience members there are in a given theater and what the ticket price of those um, uh, performances are and that combination there's a formula that calculates what's called the house Mm -hmm. and that house category determines the pay of everyone and so this whole system to me seems um, is going to be is basically just been washed away by this tsunami because even a year from now, let's say, even if they do have a, um, um, uh, some way of dealing with the virus, uh, you know, uh, a shot or whatever by next year, it's going to be very difficult to get people, especially over 60, which is, you know, a lot of theater audiences are quite old. And to get them back into the theater safely and to make them feel safe and to be charging the same ticket prices, this is going to be a huge challenge. And so the way that we've operated is based, I think, on a fallacy, or it's certainly going to be a fallacy in a year. And I don't have any brilliant ideas about how to solve that. I'm just saying now's the time to start thinking about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, to just sort of give a little bit of a sense of what this house level means. um, You refer to the level of G house in in the letter saying that, you know, there's no way that um, like a G house fee or fee determined on what size the G house is, which I think is under 200 seats. Um, well, it depends on the combination of the seats and the ticket price. So if you had 30 seats, but they're each $300, then, you know, the house size grows, right? So it really depends on that combination. But right now, the G house rate for an actor, I looked it up this morning, uh, for 2018. So it might be slightly out of date, but at that time, uh, it was about $460, $470 around there. And actors work six days a week. Mm-hmm. And sometimes eight hours a day. That's not even a minimum wage. 
Yeah, that, so the fee is per week, right? That's how. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous. And so, um, part of the letter was me basically going, "We have to rethink how we're going to do this and work with uh, the Canada Council and the federal government." And luckily, we currently have a federal government who is uh, fairly uh, supportive of the arts. I would say. Uh, compared compared to the alternatives, <laughs> um, that we have to get those fees up um, into a living wage category. Never mind even minimum wage. I mean, I find it hard to believe that an actor in Edmonton can operate uh, living on that uh, per week, let alone if they were living in Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. Um, just for context in Edmonton, um, do you happen to know any of the actual house sizes? Like I know that like the Citadel, the Shockter would be considered an A. Um, generally so that's speaking, like the it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So the Shockter and the McLab are generally considered A houses, again, depending on how much they're charging for tickets. And But generally speaking, those big main stage shows are A houses. And let's say Workshop West working out of the backstage theater, uh, which had about 100 seats, 130, depending on the configuration. We were always operating at a G house uh, Mm -hmm. level. And we, we, you know, that was for all kinds of financial reasons. If -hmm. we could have paid our actors more, we certainly would have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember when I was at Freewell, because of the size of the house, it was technically an A or like a double A house. But um, we always tried, we always applied to have it deferred to D because we never sold 1100 tickets in a single day. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And then you have pay what you can. And, you know, again, it's a, it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, accounting and actuarial work that, that goes along with figuring out those house sizes. So when I say rip up the agreements, really what I'm trying to do is go, let's stop, let's stop <clears throat> this argument about whether or not we should be paying an actor 460 or $462 a week, which is often what these negotiations are like, or rather than actually looking at a set of principles and coming together as a theater community for the first time in possibly two or three generations since the 1960s to really go, what is our theater in Canada? How should it be properly funded? How should we determine what, uh, what actors should do and, and how playwrights should be paid. And, um, you know, about two decades ago, I'm guessing, whenever they brought that GST in, that's probably three decades ago now, but that we suddenly became self-employed businesses. Like this was another problem I, I really have. And so we're collecting GST from the federal government. And, you know, we got ourselves into this tax mess where, um, <clears throat> you know, we don't have any access to employment insurance or benefits. and. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And I just feel like we need to have a whole new conversation about the status of the artist in Canada and and, and how it applies to our government systems uh, at a federal level and then obviously at a provincial and civic level. Yeah. And I did want to I wanted to ask a little bit about well, I guess I always found it interesting that um, actors, designers, playwrights are all these independent contractors, whereas stage management are employees. <laughs> I always kind of was like, what? why is that the one difference, you know? Um, yeah, you got me. Uh, that, <laughs> and that that is something that, you know what, I probably should know the answer to, having worked in this business for 25 years, and, and I, I sadly don't. And I, I say that out of ignorance, not out of pride. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, and, and I don't know exactly why either. I always just found that it was a sort of – an interesting departure um, that, you know, like the administration and staff of theaters were and, and stage management were treated in one way. Like we had the benefits, we had all of that. Um, where, and then, you know, like the people who come in for a show 
um, as actors, designers, that it is that contract and it's sort of like in and out. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, uh, you know, who, who gets to be safe, whose job has really got like, um, like, a, you know, footing behind it. Um, uh, but, um, you, you mentioned, uh, something about, um, status of the artist legislation. Uh, and I wanted to, uh, ask about, um, because Canada does have status of the artists. Um, there's an act, um, that was passed in 1992. What has happened since then? Anything? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. I know that they've been, you know, a lot of the organizations that I wrote to, and, and by the way, I, I never met this, um, uh, letter to be critical in any way. It was meant to be a supportive letter just to open up some conversation and get people talking. It was really just a, an icebreaker. You know, uh, organizations like the Playwrights Guild, I know, because that's the main one that I work with, um, have been advocating, you know, for status of the artist legislation uh, to be revived and copyright legislation, like all of these things that have a really immediate impact uh, on our work um, to get that uh, to come up to speed. But, uh, you know, I guess through my Pollyanna-ish view of things, you know, my hope is that both the government and, you know, maybe the people of Canada will suddenly realize, geez, what did I do during the, t- the pandemic? Because most of us just sat around and listened or to artists or watched artists. Um, uh, that's what we spent most of our time doing. And so I'm hoping that the, the value of artists um, uh, will somehow increase in, in, in the eyes of some of our elected officials to go, geez, we better start funding these organizations much, much better because in times like this, we really need them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting, at least when I'm trying to find out things that are going on and and stuff like that is that not only have a lot of the live arts shut down and kind of like tried to pivot online, but there's no one who's really like writing or reporting on what's even really happening in the arts community right now, other than sort of like broad strokes of that, that nobody is making any money anymore. Well, and thank God for you, Fonda, for, uh, you know, reaching out and, and having this chat with me today, because, you know, you were one of the uh, rare uh, people who won can call a cultural journalist in this country when, you know, in the 1970s and eighties, there was hundreds of them. And, you know, a lot of this has to do with the shutdown in the newspapers and, you know, there's some people writing blogs, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, we don't have a national conversation about this, you know, like when, when Trudeau mentioned the arts and I guess the first or second week of the, of the pandemic, and I'm not a huge fan of, Pierre Trudeau, uh, sorry, uh, Justin Trudeau, but I really feel like he's done a good job. But like, uh, that was the first time I think I've ever heard the arts mentioned like on a national broadcast like that. <laughs> it was really kind of uh, heartwarming and exciting to see, hey, there, we're being recognized in a time of crisis that, you know, that we are part right now, part of the gig economy, but we probably should not be. And so the problem with the status of the artist legislations that exist right now is they have no teeth. They're all policy stuff. They're all like, we believe the arts are an important part of culture, blah, blah, blah. But they don't actually make any commitments. They don't go from here forth with, you know, certain percentage of our budget every year will be devoted to the arts, for example. Right. Like there's no kind of strategy in them. There's no, there's no, um, There's nothing in the tax code that deals specifically with artists as there is with farmers and other seasonal workers. Mm -hmm. And so they have to have teeth. And and now is the time for us to lobby 
our uh, our MPs in Ottawa to go get on with it. Like, you know, give us some special status or some status, even just some status that has some teeth in it so that, you know, we're not starving the next time something like this happens. Mm -hmm. And that's something, the lobbying is something that these organizations like PACT and Playwrights Guild of Canada and Equity should, should be doing, right? Yes. And they do do them. Often they do them individually. And again, I'm not being critical of any of them. My, my call to them was to get together and start doing it if they hadn't been doing it already. And I know that they've already had conversations with each other, but it was, it's really, a, you know, in a perfect world, I, I wish they were all working a desk away from each other rather than in separate buildings to, to really, you know, now is your, now is your time executive directors to put on a show like the rest of us do. And, you know, a lot of those people are that run these organizations, they're wonderful managers, they're excellent fundraisers. They're really, really good at negotiating contracts, but they're not necessarily artists. And so what they need to do now is they need to get together and put on a show and the, and the show has to be, you know, uh, has to be cohesive. It has to be united and we can't be bickering about, you know, the $2 raise for the G houses. I'm just using that as a, as a petty mm -hmm. example. Yeah, but I, I I do remember when I went to the PACT conference one year that the uh, the renegotiation it was the CTA was like Canadian Theatre Agreement was being renewed that year I think it was twenty. 2013. Um, but, uh, but it, but it really was, it was just like, how much are each of the houses going to get raised? Um, you know, like that. And that was, it was like a 25 cent thing in it, in some cases. And it just didn't, you know, yeah, it felt like, shouldn't there be, shouldn't we be talking about some of the things that are like, you know, a little bit more problematic about the agreements, like about recording performances, for example. Oh yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> so and that's got to change too. As I, I mentioned in the letter, you know, the paucity, the ridiculous and embarrassing lack of Canadian content online right now, when it comes to being able to do watch any kind of theater with a couple of exceptions, it's just, <clears throat> it's sad. It's sad and it's pathetic. And that's because there's never been enough money to pay the artist properly to do those things. So it's nobody's fault, except there's not enough money. And that's what it's going to come down to in the end is there's going to have to be a complete rethink at the federal level of how the arts are funded. And um, a strategy has to, but that strategy has to come, I believe, from the big four organizations that, uh, uh, in the theater world anyway, the big four organizations in the theater world that represent us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if you, if you know the answer to this or have an idea about why, um, but why are we seeing so much more say British, uh, like professional British productions that have like, you know, well-filmed, well-distributed um, and in some cases American, but it's not, it's not so much um, on that side either. Really from Britain and Europe, we're seeing a lot more stuff being disseminated online and, and, and done well, done professionally. Um, so do you have any ideas about, about what's different over there? Uh, well, the short answer is I don't know, but I have some hypotheses that people out there in the world listening to this can argue with and poo poo, I guess. But uh, the first is very simple is that they've invested in it. They put money into it. 
and they've seen it as valuable. And that's not necessarily the theaters that have done that, although it's part of that, but it's, you know, it goes all the way up to the British Council, Arts Council, and, you know, the the enormous amounts of money that the Brits and the Europeans put into the arts, you know, it's, we are a drop in the bucket compared to the rest of the world. And so per capita, we do not invest enough in the arts. And so that, there's just not the money that's uh, that's there. But you can also imagine that, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is not going, yes, I want a million dollars to be on this thing of Frankenstein that I did at the National Arts Center, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's he understands that this is for the greater good, even if they're movie stars. So there, I think there's also a tradition of the theater um, – being uh having a more important place in society i think that's also uh part of it and then thirdly uh i think historically there was a schism at some point in time in our history uh in canada the broadcasters abandoned canadian uh the canadian performing arts Mm. um they decided that that was not a place to go and that their audiences didn't really want to see that and I don't know why or when that exactly happened, but, you know, it's obvious because you can't find, um, you know, the, the CBC did it in the 1950s and 60s. They recorded Stratford performances and you could still see some great archivals of those. But then it just kind of went away. And, uh, you know, even to this day, the, the big broadcasters have, in Canada have always not gone or sorry, they have never gone to uh, to uh, Canadian playwrights, for example, until just recently, to look for their writers, mm-hmm. and so they've always been like ten years behind uh, on on how to create content, and I think that that is one of the reasons. It's, so it's multifaceted, and I think the broadcasters are very much to blame for this. Yeah, I mean, CBC has one podcast out now called Play Me. I think that's what you're referring to for the playwright. Canadian playwrights are getting some work out there. Um, But it really is a handful, and it seems fairly um, Eastern-based to me. Yeah, yeah, there's been a couple of things on the the West, and I'm really happy that Play Me is there. But, you know, it doesn't hold a candle to the radio drama that we were creating in the 60s, 70s, even in the 80s and 90s with Afghanada, which was really the last you know, great uh, CBC radio drama that that was out there that had a huge following. And then they just killed the whole department. And it was like, yeah, that's not important. Well, what are people listening to now, right? They're listening to you and me on a podcast. And like, they've just made really bad choices over the years. And I was very happy recently to to see that they were opening up a special uh, playwright stream because, uh, you know, I'm hoping that they'll start to look at playwrights as being a source of uh, content, which they have not done for for literally a generation since I started. Mm-hmm. Um, as a playwright, um, have you had any of your works uh, translated online just in audible format? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, no, that's not true. Sorry, that's not true. Uh, my first play, The Courier, was recorded by CKUA, um, but I don't think there's been. No, I, I think I would remember that, and I don't. I'm going to be embarrassed if something has been recorded and I, I didn't know it. Oh, that's not true. I've had a couple of really short works that were done by the CBC again when Alberta Anthology was around. I don't know if you remember that, but that was around 
but 20 years ago they used to do short plays and record them once a year so there's that but uh no no that's it's not the case and you know i've i've ha- i've i've personally had plays that have had you know 100 productions over 100 productions worldwide that have never seen any kind of recording and i i just think along with about a dozen other Canadian playwrights that I can think of that have international reputations. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. If you're looking for Canadian content to watch, um, like in, in terms of theater, you know, like I, I guess I got to see one kid pivot show, um, uh, that was online, but that was because she did it at Sadler's Wells. Um, you know, and it's, it's not from a Canadian house. There's not like Canadian introduction or sponsors or anything behind it either. Um, well, outside of Stratford, I can, I can name probably a half a dozen things that you could watch, um, that were, uh, had like real Canadian content. And, uh, and some of those are from the 1990s, like, you know, uh, uh, Carbon uh, Carbon Fourteen out of Montreal, which was filming stuff in the nineteen nineties uh, when they did uh, Le, Le Dortoir, the dormitory. But you know, like again, that's so old. Like it's just I don't know. Don't get me. Uh, you've obviously got me started. I think I'll shut up about that now. <laughs> well, I find I think- it truly appalling. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's valid. I think we, you know, we, I like, we, I do this because I think we have great theater and great dance in this, in, in Canada. And, and I would love to see more of it, you know, especially now that I'm shut in here and can't get to see, uh, much. Um, yeah. And I think the Royal Winnipeg ballet had some stuff in, uh, that was actually filmed well, way like back in the day, but it's not since the probably nineties or early two thousands. Have I seen anything, um, that was at least distributed easily. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess so as as organizations, you know, you were you were the the AD at, at Workshop West. Um and I wanted so as organizations, smaller organizations locally, um what do you think can be done to to actually move things along? Um maybe not maybe with either with these organizations or to just sort of like make sure that um you know when we all get shut down and everything like that that people still know that theater happened. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing? Oh yeah, that they used to call that theater, Johnny. Um <laughs> Well, I think people are doing uh, what they can and what they need to be doing. Um, you know, this, this in Edmonton, for example, the Citadel's got their Stuck in the House series, which I think is is great, and it's putting some cash into artists' hands, which I think is awesome. And you know, they're, uh, you know, they're they're getting up. I'm sure they're spending every single day planning, 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 and creating like 17 million scenarios about how to open. And and I think that's probably the case from large to small. Um, you know, there are companies that are doing some, you know, online classes and stuff like that. There's all kinds of ways to kind of keep the company active. And, um, you know, it's, it's about, you know, preparing audiences, uh, in the future for perhaps a different experience, um, that those might be smaller houses. You might be in different configurations and that might be something that happens in a a transition until, you know, they find a cure for this. So there's, there's all kinds of things that, that people are, are doing. And I think we're, 
I mean, this has only happened for two months, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know, so people I think are kind of coming out of shock now realizing what the future may have to look like and just need to spend some time thinking about what that kind of programming looks like. Some of it might be online. Some of it might be in person. Some of it might be smaller houses. Um, there might be just different ways of, of going about it and looking at other countries and what people are doing around the world. The one thing that I have felt during this is that I felt for the first time in a very long time that I am part of a national community. Like we are talking to each other, you know, it's mainly over Facebook and zoom meetings and stuff, but we are talking to each other. And I think on a local basis also, you know what, we're not going to be able to fly artists around like we used to. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be a lot of great opportunities to uh, nurture homegrown talents. And I think nurturing that, that talent is going to be a super important job of, uh, of theater companies in a year from now and looking to young people or people just with new ideas, uh, and experimentation, it should, you know, really yield some rich results. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that you lived in New York for some time and you did come back to Edmonton, um, when, when workshop West initially happened for you. Um, are you planning to stay in Edmonton? Do you think that Edmonton's theater community will like get back on its feet and, and what, uh, what might things look like for you after this? Well, I have no plans, plans to leave. Um, and, uh, obviously we just moved into a new house, so I have no plans to leave in the, in the short term unless somebody offers me some awesome job somewhere else. Um, I'm just planning to, to stay here and, and be part of the community. Uh, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that has a lot to do with my wife, who's currently the writer in residence at the public library. And she's very, very active, um, on that scene and will be till the end of the, uh, calendar year but yeah of course Edmonton's going to pop back we have one of the best theater scenes in the country we work well together as a community when we need to and um you know it's going to be a a a tough little go uh I think there's going to be a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made uh and those decisions are going to really vary the fringe is one thing the citadel is another thing the smaller indie companies are another thing the schools the the universities are another thing it's going to be very interesting to see what happens but of course people will bounce back this theater this town loves theater this town is like theater crazy (laughs) so i have no i have no worries that it'll come back it's just how when and what it looks like well, Vern, thank you so much for for chatting with us today. Is there anything that I haven't really touched on that you that you definitely want to add? No, I'm just super appreciative of you and and all the people that are out there that are still following, you know, what's going on in the theater community, the arts community and and I guess the only thing is make sure you write your MLAs and MPs and uh, if you're artists or if you're not artists, if you're supportive of artists and tell them how important it is, those letters are really important. Uh, it's important not only because the politicians need to hear those things, but it's, all, it's also important because it means that you yourself get engaged and it takes about, you know, two seconds to, you know, five minutes to write a good email to your, your uh, local representatives uh, and the city too. So I encourage people to become active. Well, maybe if you're a Governor General award-winning playwright, it only takes you five minutes to write <laughs> a, a meaningful email. But, you know, sometimes, Vern, <laughs> I go you're through, mayor. I go, <laughs> you're mayor. I think the arts are great. Sincerely, fund them more. Sincerely, that's all you have to write. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. We will, and we will leave it at that. 
This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well-Endowed Podcast. On their latest episode, you'll hear an interview with ECF's CEO, Martin Garber-Conrad, on the COVID-19 Rapid Response Fund, and about some of the organizations the fund has assisted so far, like the YMCA of Northern Alberta, Edmonton Arts Council, Meals on Wheels, and the Art Gallery of Alberta. To listen to all their episodes and to find out more about all of ECF's work in the community, head to thewellendowedpodcast.com. With PodPower, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a PodPower shout-out to the Alberta Queer Calendar Project. The Alberta Queer Calendar Project features monthly podcast dramas by queer Albertan writers throughout 2020. Episodes are released monthly and are free to access anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen and learn more about the Alberta Queer Calendar presented by Cardiac Theatre in partnership with What It Is Productions at queercalendar.ca. All right, for listings. Guys, listings. I actually have a listing this week. Oh, my God. So uh, Vina Morris Projects are the producers behind Tracks, which is the final show of the Fringe's off-season series. And they ventured to take the experience of the play online with a sort of like a choose-your-own-route sort of um, thing. So that's happening from May 19th to 24th. Um, and it's selling out pretty fast. Um, so you better get tickets for that because it could be like one of the cool things that you can do. That's theater now. Yay. Um, in other news, um, pretty bad, crappy news, if you ask me, intake of applications for the Community Investment Project grant stream was canceled by the government, um, the provincial government, astonishingly, the day before this grant was due. Um, and on that same day also noted that those who applied to the grant's January 15th intake were also canceled. Uh, there were a lot of people who had a lot of things to say about this online um, and, and, and bless them uh, because this was just uh, kind of, kind of the worst, um, you know, a lot of grant uh, granting agencies have been doing the right thing in, in this, uh, in this whole pandemic thing. And, uh, and yeah, the UCP just kind of screwed a lot of people up on this one, um, including a lot of people in the, in writings that elected them. So we'll take note. Again, there's not a lot of other things that are happening live, but if there are is something that you know about from local performers or companies that we should give a shout out to, please let us know. Um, and you can contact us through our website at idontgetityag.com. In the show notes, I will link to um, the Playwrights Guild of Canada page where you can view Vern Thiessen's plays uh, and, and, and maybe buy some of them. And that's, that's a good way to support. Um, also Vern had mentioned his partner, the EPL's writer and resident Susie Maloney. I will also link to her page with EPL. Um, a couple of other cool news things that I saw this week. Uh, the Georgia Strait interviewed Canada Council CEO Simon Brault on emergency funding and the current need for innovation in the art sector. And what was cool about that is that, you know, the Georgia Strait is one of the last remaining alt-weeklies in the country, um, is the one that kind of goes out and does the big profile on 
on Simon Brault and Canada Council. So, yay, go out weeklies. <laughs> also, uh, in those of you who may have had subscriptions to Broadway Across Canada or want, you know, like mi- just miss Broadway Across Canada, you could try out that Disney Plus subscription because word is that Hamilton is going to bypass um the theatrical release, the film release that they were going to do in 2021. And they're just going to make it available on Disney plus starting in July. So yeah, maybe time your free month of Disney plus accordingly. Also, I saw an interesting piece in the New York times about the Barrington stage company in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, uh, which is planning a summer season of live theater with uh, reduced and spaced out seating, no intermissions, audience face masks, and only one person shows. So um, yeah, that's, that's maybe what we're looking at folks. (sighs) All right. Thank you again so much to Vern Thiessen for chatting with us on the podcast this week. Go see some shows, everyone, from the safety of your home Wi-Fi online. And if you can, send those artists a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. 